Good morning. It's very good to be here with you today. We certainly have a lot to be thankful for this morning. We have each other. Uh, we have Jesus. We have a good Lord's Day. Uh, we have Brother Mike safely back with us from Nigeria. And we have our health. And praise God for that. And I hope that by being here this morning that you've been encouraged and that what we say this morning will be of benefit to you and will lift you up in the most holy faith. We have been studying a series on the road to the cross. And we have been looking at the point in time in which the Jewish religious leaders actively plotted to kill Jesus. And Jesus' awareness of that plot and the voluntary journey that Jesus took to Jerusalem in which he would be arrested and handed over to the Roman government to be crucified. And throughout this series, we have been looking at encounters that Jesus had engaged in. We've been looking at teachings that Jesus has been teaching us in literally the last weeks and days of his life that's been recorded in the scriptures for you and I. Jesus, throughout this time on his way to Jerusalem, has been teaching us very important principles that we've been studying throughout this series. And today's no different. Today he teaches us a principle about the way that we as Christians view each other. A principle about the way that we as Christians view our service towards God. It's often what we refer to as the parable of the laborers, also known as the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And it's found in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Matthew just read it for us. But before we can really get into the parable, before we can really dissect it and really understand it, what we have to do is go back to what Mark was teaching us last Sunday afternoon about the encounter that Jesus had with the rich young ruler. Because really the parable of the laborers is a continuation of a dialogue that Jesus was having with his disciples concerning the encounter that he had with the rich young ruler. And so when you look at the parable, Jesus is using this parable to illustrate a principle about this encounter that he just had. And so what you and I have to do is go back and not pay attention to the uninspired portions of our Bible. And you say, well, what's that? I'm talking about the chapters and the numbers, right? We all know that sometimes throughout the scriptures that you might be reading something in a chapter and get to a new chapter, and that doesn't necessarily mean we're at a new environment, a new time, and a new, a new place. Really, the, the parable of the laborers is a continuation of an instance that Jesus just had with this rich young ruler. And if you recall that encounter, Jesus is approached by this young man. And he says, Jesus, what shall I do to have eternal life? And Jesus gives him a handful of the commandments. He says, well, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, love your neighbor, do all of these things. And he says, well, Jesus, I have done these things from my youth. And Jesus says, well, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And it says that the young man went away sorrowful, for he had a lot of possessions. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you know, it's really hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And it says that the disciples were astonished by this, and they said, well, well Lord, 
who can be saved then? And Jesus says, well, you know, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. You know, a rich man trying to enter into the kingdom of God is like a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle, Jesus tells him. But then Peter says something really interesting. He goes, well, Lord, you know, we've, we've kind of left everything. Fair enough. We've left our homes, we've left our families, we've left our jobs. We're out here following you. I mean, we've kind of done something pretty good. And then Jesus tells them something very important. He says, right there in chapter 19, but many who say will be first will be last, and the last will be first. And then the chapter stops. And then we roll over into Matthew, the 20th chapter. And then this is where Jesus gives us the parable. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is a householder that went out early in the morning to hire laborers in the vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give thee. And they went their way. And again he went out the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why are ye stand here all day? They say unto him, Because no man has hired us. And he saith unto them, Go ye into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, ye shall receive. And so when they had come... The Lord of the vineyard saith unto the steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last to the first. And when they had came, they had hired about the eleventh hour. They received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they had should receive more, and likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, saying, These last things wrought but one hour, Thou hast made them equal unto us, which hath borne the burden of the heat of the day. And he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Did thou not agree with me for a penny? Take thine, take what is thine, and go thine way, and I will give unto thee the last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do with my own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? And then notice what Jesus says here in the 16th verse. So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called, but few be chosen. And so Jesus gives them this principle that the first will be last and the last will be first. Then he gives them the illustration of the parable, and then he recites the principle again that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. You know, when I was in college, I took a brief summer job roofing houses. And quite frankly, I was not used to that type of manual labor. I had always worked in grocery stores. I'd always mowed baseball fields. But I had really wasn't used to picking up heavy architectural shingles on my shoulder and trotting up and down ladders all day and knocking off shingles off roof, roofs, you know, from 5 o'clock in the morning to the end of the day. I really wasn't used to that. And it was hard labor on me. And I worked with a lot of guys who worked extremely hard. In fact, there was a guy I worked with by the name of Alan, and he could really work circles just around about anybody if, if you could get him to work. 
He had a substance abuse problem, and because of that, it was hard for him sometimes to get to work. And so we would all be on top of the roof at 5 a.m. in the morning, and people would be looking around going, where's Alan? I don't know. Someone get in your vehicle, drive to his house, and see if you can get him out of bed and see if he can come to work. And he'd show up three or four hours late on the job, and he'd get up on the roof, and he'd work until the end of the shift. Now, I want you to suppose for a minute that that happened, just like it always typically did. And we finished the job. He showed up four hours late in a state and the condition that he was in. And we finished the job. And at the end of the job, we all lined up. And the boss man went all the way to Alan first and said, Alan, here's $200 for your work today. You know what, I, you know what I'm probably doing at that point? I'm doing the math in my head at that point. Okay, he was here four hours. I was here four hours before he was. He was paid $200. That must mean that I'm getting $400, right? But instead of that happening, what if he paid Alan the $200 and then he went to me and said, Kyle, here's $200 for your work today. And then he went to Joe. Here's $200 for your work. And then he went to Keevan. Here's $200 for your work. How do you think that I would feel and the rest of us would feel there who had been there since 5 a.m. that morning? I will tell you that irritated would not be the accurate word to describe that. You know what I'm doing? I'm starting a union at this point, right? <laughs> starting a union. You know, that's kind of like the parable of the laborers. Not exactly, but it's kind of the same point. And so what the parable says is that there's this householder, and he goes out into the marketplace, and he finds these people, and he says, hey, come work for me. I'll enter into an agreement with you for a day's wage, a penny a day, for you to come and work for me. And so the people enter into this agreement. And then he says that he goes out about the third hour and he finds more people standing idle in the marketplace. Hey, come work for me. But notice the agreement this time. It's not I'll pay you a day's wage. It's not I'll pay you a penny. It's I'll pay you what's ever right, he said. And then he goes back out the sixth hour and he does the same. And he goes out in the ninth hour and he does the same. And then he goes out into the eleventh hour and finds more people standing idle in the marketplace and he tells them the same thing. I'll pay you what's right. Come work for me. What does this parable mean? Does this parable mean that God's mercy is just towards someone who obeys the gospel at a young age and they've been a Christian for the majority of their life and they've finished the race and they've, they've lived a great exemplary life as a Christian and God has mercy and saves them as opposed to someone who comes to know God at a later point in their life and they come to find the goodness and the faithfulness of God in their 70s or in their 80s. And they finish the race that God has mercy on them. Is that what the parable means? I think absolutely. I think the parable absolutely teaches us that. But I think there's something richer here. I think that there's something more that's going on in this parable. You see, Jesus is addressing a particular attitude among these people in this circumstance. And we really have to go back and see the first rich young ruler, the question that was posed to him in Matthew chapter 19 and verses 22. Excuse me, verses 16. What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? What work is it going to be required of me to have eternal life? Now notice here in Matthew chapter 19 through 23 and 30, Notice what Peter said after that. 
we have forsaken all. What shall we have then? And so Jesus is addressing this association in their minds that their works somehow comport with eternal life. And I think that this is the issue that Jesus is addressing. And he's teaching them in this parable that entering into the kingdom of God is not a comparison of a hierarchy or a quantity of the number of good deeds that you and I can do to obtain the grace and the mercy of God. That's the issue that I think that he's teaching here. And so if we were to sum up this entire parable in just one sentence, I think that it would be this. The parable stresses God's unmerited grace rather than a sense of earning God's favor. And so I think that we have to go back to the context of what we're studying here. Remember in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus first gives the principle that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He repeats himself in Matthew chapter 20 after giving the parable. So the last shall be first and the first last. For many shall be called, but few are chosen. And so Jesus is taking this conventional way of thinking that they're used to and making it unconventional. They were so used to people sitting at the end of the table, the people being first, the hardworking, the people that would make logical sense in our mind, who would obtain more, and Jesus is making that and flipping it upside down on its head. And so if we, we really look at the parable and we diagram it, we need to understand the agreements first. We have the early morning laborers. What was the agreement with them? A day's work for a day's pay. A penny, right? And then we have the third hour workers. What was the agreement that the householder gave them? Well, I'll pay you what's right. The sixth hour, I'll pay you what's right. The ninth, I will give to thee what's fair, basically what's right. And the eleventh hour workers, the same. And so when we look at the agreement that's made here, there's a distinction between the early morning laborers and the remainder. And then looking at the payment, we see that the 11th hour workers were paid first. What were they paid? A penny. The ninth, a penny. The sixth, a penny. The third, and the early morning workers were paid the same. And notice that he goes to the very end of the line to these 11th hour workers and pays them the same wage as he pays the people who were there at 6 o'clock in the morning working. And of course, that caused an issue. We see the complaint. The complaint is this. These last have wrought but one hour. One hour they've worked. They've showed up at 5 p.m. They've worked one hour, and you've paid them the same wage as you've paid us, and we've been here since 6 a.m., and everybody in between. You see, their complaint was foundationed on the amount of work that they had put in for that day, and they were comparing themselves with the other workers. They were principled on that, right? The idea made sense in their mind. We have more work. We deserve more. And this is the principle that Jesus is dealing with. And notice that the first morning workers went into the workforce on an agreement. They went in on a contract. But everyone else didn't go in on a contract. Why did they go in? They went in to the workforce trusting in 
the goodness and the faithfulness of the householder, right? And so if we're going to, to show the symbolism here, the householder is God. And in reality, all of us are the 11th hour worker. And that when we enter into the kingdom of heaven, we should be doing that based on the, tr- the trust and the faithfulness and the mercy and the goodness of God. And that there's no amount of works that you and I can com- perform to obtain God's mercy. And we know the book of James teaches us that works are important. They're a manifestation, manifestation of our faith in God. And they're necessary and they're important unto salvation. But you and I cannot achieve or earn salvation on our own righteousness because we don't have it. And I think simply that this is what this parable is teaching us. Notice the householder's response. Did thou not agree with me for a penny? Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is thine eye evil because I'm good? You see, God can do and save anybody that he chooses to save. And for us to grumble and complain and to compare ourselves against other Christians, Jesus is teaching us and warning us against that. This is my favorite parable in the Bible. And the reason why is it teaches the faithfulness and the goodness and the mercy of God. And that we shouldn't be looking at each other and comparing ourselves, the amount of works that one Christian do versus another Christian do. Let that salvation be worked out individually among that own Christian. But rather it's a celebration of the mercy that God has extended to you and I through the giving of a son of Jesus Christ. And that's a beautiful picture that he's illustrating for each of us. Because the fact of the matter is, is that we were all at one point lost and hungry. We were on our way here this morning. My dad was riding with me. And we looked over in a gas station and there was a group of people congregated over there. You know what they were doing? He said, what are those people doing over there? They're looking for work. They're looking for someone to come and have mercy on them and give them a job so that they can feed their families. And the fact is that you and I were all in a lost state when God saw us. We were all standing at the gas station begging for mercy for God to come in and give us His Son. And He brought us salvation through that. And He gave us a job no matter what point that we come to Him in our lives. If we're faithful to the end and we finish the job. And that's a beautiful picture. And shame on any of us for looking at each other and comparing ourselves to other Christians based on an amount of work. We should be celebrating the goodness and the mercy that's been extended to us by the householder. And that's the purpose and the principle of the parable. And I think that once we do that, we see a transformation because it's based on trust. When we trust in our works and the amount of works that we're doing and comparing ourselves to other people, it only produces self-righteousness, right? That's what those people were doing. We've worked harder than the other people. We've put in more. We're better. We have more work. We've labored harder. And it's drawing a, pair, it's drawing a distinction between the other people. And it produces contempt for other people. And it produces unthankfulness. But when we realize the mercy and the goodness of God, the self-righteousness is transformed into humility. The contempt for others is respect for other people. And the unthankfulness is the thankfulness 
of the mercy that God had on each and every one of us. And that we realize that it wasn't the nails that held Jesus crossed, Jesus Christ to that cross, but it was the love for every one of us here and his, his children worldwide. And so I appreciate your time this morning. I hope that the parable has made sense to you. Um, I hope that uh, everything that I've said has been in accordance with God's will. At this time, we're going to stand and sing a song. So